0: Well, let me ask you, what, uh, what special event happens this week? It's the uh, Super Bowl, right? Okay, okay, good. Well done. Well done. To all the men in the house that said Super Bowl, let me just uh, bless you for a minute and tell you that Valentine's Day will be Tuesday, and so you may want to put down the chips and Rotel and go get some chocolate and uh, flowers. Yeah, bless your heart, men. Uh, Yes, it is Super Bowl Sunday, and uh, uh, that, it should be a good game. I'm, I'm excited about it. Our life group's going to enjoy that tonight together and just uh, have a good time of fellowship. Um, but yeah, so this week is actually Valentine's Day, and in light of that, I want to do a couple of messages around the idea of love and relationships, and next week we'll kind of get into the weeds, so moms and dads will talk a little bit about sex next week, and God's standard for sex and relationships you may want to be mindful of that um, with uh, with your children but my preference is usually to preach through a book of the Bible I love what's called expositional preaching I love to take the take the word of God and just walk our way through a book of the Bible that's my preference, but occasionally we'll do a few topical messages, which is really more where we take a topic, we look to the scriptures for what does God say to us about this idea, this concept, and then we take that text, whatever that may be, and then we work through that text expositionally. All right, so today and for the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to do a short series, three weeks. Uh, we call in this series, God's Design, God's Design, Okay. So, uh, like I said, next week, we'll talk about love, marriage, sex, those kinds of things. But before we get there, I wanted to uh, reestablish a baseline, if you will, for truth on all these issues. All the issues we talk about, where is our basis of truth coming from? One of our core doctrinal positions as a church is to affirm that the Bible is God's word. Amen. Amen. So the Bible is God's word. Actually, last Sunday, we we heard from four different pastors about how God has revealed himself specifically in his word. And it's from the words of scripture that we hear the words of God. So um, to sum all that up from last weekend, um, God has revealed himself in the Bible. And um, he's given us all we need to know for life and godliness and Uh, And what he expects of his creation. So um, how he sent his son to save us from sin and what life will be like in eternity. So the Bible is uh, in its original manuscripts. The Bible is inerrant. It's infallible. It is perfect. And you hold in your hand when you hold God's word, you're holding literally the words of God. So when we look to our Bible, we believe it's sufficient. It's authoritative. Right. Okay. So here's the thing, if the Bible is our supreme authority, then here's the kicker. A Christian, a follower of Jesus, surrenders every opinion and every thought to the Scripture. So what has God said about it? So as a follower of Christ, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you will not hold on To any opinion that conflicts with the teachings of God's word. Amen. So here's what I'm telling you, just to be frank. If you are a follower of Christ, you do not have the right to an opinion that disagrees with God. Romans 12, verse 2 says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? Anybody know? Renewing. Renewing of your mind. And the more you walk with Jesus and do life with Jesus, his teachings renew the way you think about life and everything. The words of God renews our mind. I can't tell you how many things that I used to think and used to used to be so sure of, you know, 10, 20 years ago, I was so confident in these opinions and I was so wrong. Anybody been there? I look back at myself 20 years ago and I think, man, what an idiot. (laughs) Um, And probably I'll look back 10 years from now and think the same thing. So bless your hearts for putting up with me, right? Um, What is it that changes us? What is it that has changed me over the years and the things that I thought so I thought so confidently? It's not the trends of our culture that changes my mind. It's the more in the word of God and the more in connection with Jesus Christ that has changed my mind. He's the one radically renewing and radically changing me. And so I'm, thank God, more like Christ today than I was 20 years ago. That's the change that's happening. And I pray that that would be the change that happens to all of us. May God be consistently, continually conforming us, transforming us into the image of Christ. So let me ask you, just point blank, if you believe something today and have really deep held feelings about it, But as we open the scriptures, we discover the Bible actually teaches something contrary to that. Will you today let go of what you think and embrace what the Bible teaches? Will you? I want you to answer that in your own heart. If you're holding firm to a thought or an opinion and we come into the scriptures and the Bible is clear that your opinion is wrong, will you be transformed by the scriptures? I pray that you will. Every time we come to God's word and we walk with Christ, we ought to be like, like putty in his hands. Lord, shake me. Change me. If I'm wrong, throw it out. Make me new, right? Okay, so he's always changing our minds. He's helping us to see his ways and in the process we learn as disciples of Jesus to reject our own. It's a constant process of repenting of wrong thoughts and embracing God's thoughts. So, Here's where we're going to start. We're talking about God's design. So will you grab your Bible and open to page one, <laughs> open to Genesis chapter one and we'll begin reading in Genesis chapter one and two. Just going to read a few selections from chapters one and two. Hopefully this will be some familiar scriptures to you. But when you find your place there, would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word? All right. Good deal. It. It's page one, right? So it should get there relatively quickly. The word of the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was what? Good. All right. Skip down, if you will, with me to verse 26 of chapter one. Chapter one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image. A little hint there to the Trinity, our, us, And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Skip down to verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made and behold, what's it say? It was very good, right? And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Do you go into chapter two to verse 15? And let's read to the end of the chapter. Chapter two, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then the Lord God said, It is what? Not good that the man should be alone. Amen to that, brothers, right? Amen. Okay. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and while he slept God took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Therefore. A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Lord of all creation, your power is on display all around us. Every day this this world you've made wakes up to declare your praise. You are good and so merciful to us. We thank you for your word. For in it, we can truly know you and that, Lord, our hearts and minds would be transformed by your spirit through your word. We surrender our thoughts to your holy word in Jesus name and for his glory, we pray. Amen. 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 You can be seated. So, someone once said the four most important words in the Bible are in the beginning God. How awesome is that, right? In the beginning God. Think about the significance of those words. There was nothing else, it was just God, right? But then God spoke into the nothing and created everything. Systematically, God displays his power through creation. So before it all, there was God. I want us to see what, what are some things we see about God and what are some things we see about his, the pinnacle of his creation, which is you, mankind, right? Humankind. What do we see about God and what do we see about us in the text that we've read? Well, first, we must see that God is our creator. God is creator, creator. You, creative as you may be, maybe you're an artist or a singer or a musician, you, you you have some creative bug in you. The truth is, you do not create anything. The word create here is limited to God. It's the Hebrew word bara. Can you say bara? Look, you know Hebrew, right? It's it's this word for making out of nothing. We don't do that. Everything you exercise creativity with, you take some material and you make something else. You have some source that you're pulling from and you're then making it with your creative things in which you are kind of like God in that. But you're making from something, making something. But with God, he makes something from nothing. So the Latin word here for that is ex nihilio. It means out of nothing, God creates what do we see here? Ultimately, we have to see that God is all powerful, right? This is a display of his power. And as Luke rightly uh, brought out of the text, I can't speak and things happen. But God does. He speaks and there's light. He speaks and he separates light and dark. He speaks and tells the waves how far they can go. God's words are Powerful. Let there be light. And there was light with just his words. He creates. There's no other source of power like this. Nowhere. So God is all powerful. Observe also that all that he makes. How is it described? God made it. And then what does he say over it? And it is good. All that he makes is good. Everything this God uses his power to do is good. Have you ever been to a place in God's creation that has been relatively untouched by uh, human development? Anybody? I've seen pictures. Some of you have been to Alaska recently. I've seen your pictures. And I don't know about you, but the, the, the scenery of looking at glaciers and mountains and just the, all of that that's relatively untouched by us. Just shows the handiwork of God, doesn't it? You look at creation. Me, I prefer, I love the beach. I, I'm an ocean guy. I love going to the beach. And usually when we take our family to the beach, one of the first things I like to do is go to right where the water comes and stops. And I just stand there and I remember like I'm watching the wave roll in and roll back out. And just that in and out, I'm reminded, oh, here it comes, here it comes, here it comes. And there it is. That's how far God told it to go. It reminds me of the power of God every time because the Lord literally said his word. I told him the waters where to stop. And just admit, I'm just blown away by the handiwork of our powerful, good God. I wonder about you. When we look at God's creative work, we must say that his creation is beautifully good. Why is that? Well, it's because it reflects the goodness of its creator, right? God is good. He's showing us something about himself in the things that he's made. And it ought to be that way. You know, when you see a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset, it ought to. Don't get just enamored with the creation. Think about the one who did it. He is good. And so all that he has made. Now, listen, and all the details of his design are wonderfully good. Well, then we see that this creator, God, speaks not just to create, but he gets really personal with his creation, right? In verse 26, God spoke to man. He had not spoken to the sun or to the stars or to the plants or the animals or any of those things. He had not spoken to them. But to man, God speaks. He's powerful, he's good, and he's relational, with man. When he speaks again, he's revealing things about his own character, his goodness, his kindness. Think about what God said to man. He said, man, be fruitful and multiply. That's good news, men. Right? Come on, you say amen, guys. It's good news. It's a good gift from God, right? Be fruitful and multiply. This is a good thing from God. And then he says, hey, look around you. I've given you so much good food to eat. You can eat from that tree over there, that tree over there. You can eat those plants. You can eat that stuff. There's so much good to eat. Enjoy it. This is a good God. He speaks kindness to you and to me. His creation, right? Then in love, God gives a warning. Only don't eat from that tree. And if you eat from that tree, You will die, right? Now, here we see God acting as a father over his beloved creation. As a father, you know, I want my kids to enjoy life. I want them to to celebrate and enjoy life. And uh, at the same time, I speak warning over them when when my boys in particular. Let me tell you something. Girls and boys are not the same. Anybody know that? (laughs) Uh, we have two-year-old twin boys. We thought we knew what we were doing with this parenting thing with our three girls. We have lost our minds, y'all. Um, I, I, don't, I don't even... Um, Mom, I'm thinking what goes around comes around, right? I can't... I, no wonder you're crazy. Um, we, drove, we drove her mad, and now it's coming back around. Um, I can't keep track of the destruction. I just can't. But a good father gives warning, right? I'm like, boys, get out of the road. You do it in the road again. It's constant. You're gonna die. A good father warns his children, and God is a father over His creation. He says, if you eat of that tree, you will die. Now, <clears throat> here we, we laugh, but I want you to see something about God. God has ultimate authority. Not only does He have the power to speak it and it happen, but He speaks to you and me and He sets the boundaries. God says, enjoy it all. But if you do this, it will not be good for you. He sets the boundaries. Why? What does it teach us about Him? <clears throat> it teaches us that He has ultimate Authority. A few other ways to say the things that I've just said, just to give it a different inflection, is this. God is the designer. He is the designer. Everything He has made was made with intricate detail. Everything. Just think for a minute about a plant and all the little things you learned when you studied plant life in school. I, I don't remember them, but just think about those details. Right? Or, or maybe, maybe just think about the intricacies of your body. <clears throat> there is a flap of skin in your throat somewhere. Medical people, don't send me an email. Um, <laughs> you have two tubes in here somewhere, right? One of them called the trachea. What? That, the trachea takes air from your mouth and nose area down into your lungs, right? That's its purpose, to pull air in, push air out. I just use my trachea. Then there's another tube here called the esophagus, right? And the esophagus, when I put food in, the esophagus takes that food and brings it down into my stomach. Now there's a little flap like a little flange. In there, you know nothing about it, but God has intricately designed this little flap to decide which two things go down. How important is that flap? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's life and death important. You put a hot dog down your trachea, you'll regret it. <clears throat> The human body was intricately designed by a creator, a good, loving, powerful, authoritative creator. He designed it on purpose. Every inch of it, every atom, every little molecule matters. And he did it with purpose. Do you believe that? Okay. Well, then that tells us about our creator is that he is the owner of all that he makes. You know that because he made it all, everything belongs to him. Exodus chapter 19, verse five, The scripture is super short and super clear. You can memorize this When God said this, all the earth is mine. My children quote the Lord all the time, mine, mine. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, you belong to God. He owns you. He should. He made you. So he's the owner. Thirdly, he is the master. So just rephrasing all the things we've already said, but everything he has made is under his authority, under his rule. He actually has the right to tell you, don't do that. If you do it, you'll die. Do you see the exercise of authority God exercised in the garden? He still has it. When he told Adam and Eve, you can you can eat of everything. But if you eat of this tree, I'm setting boundary for you. And if you eat of this tree, you will die. God still has that authority over you and me. He's the master. What ultimately happened to Adam and Eve and to all humankind after them? God's exercise of authority. Did it turn out to be an empty threat? Did it? Let me ask you again. Did they die? Yes. Do we die? Yes. When God said it, he didn't make an empty threat. He kept his promises as he always does. He does have ultimate authority. He actually has the ultimate authority over your living and your dying. And everything in between. How foolish for his creation to look back at him and say, you can't tell me what to do. I think I can remember the moment I heard that from my child. I, I do. I remember that child's life flashing before my eyes. <laughs> Isaiah 45.9. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it? What are you making? Your work has no handles. This is ridiculous, isn't it? A pot speaking to the potter. What have you done? Why have you done it like this? Well, now that we've seen some things about God, let's zoom specifically into God's creative work of creating humans, creating humans. One thing we must see from this text is that God created man in his own what image. Now, this is a huge theological concept. We will scratch the surface today. But everything in creation reflects the goodness of God. But nothing else in all creation bears his image the way we do. God made man unlike anything else. We were made to be image bearers of God. Made after his likeness. Verses 26 and 27. So listen up. God himself made you with his own fingerprints. The fingerprints of God are on you. Listen to me. This is where your worth is. This is what makes you valuable. Is that you are made in the image of Almighty God. Every person on the planet is wonderfully and beautifully made. The psalmist writes in Psalm 139 For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Listen to these words. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That's amazing, isn't it? God has written your story. You're just living it one day at a time. But he wrote it from weaving you together in your mother's womb to the day you're in a casket. He's got it. He's your maker, your authority, your master. He owns you. And you have been wonderfully made in his image. God created man in his image, but he created man also for his glory. This explains his command to reproduce and fill the earth, doesn't it? That man and woman were made in the image of God, like these little image bearers, like little mirrors that reflect his character. And then God says, be fruitful and multiply. I want my glory to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. So be fruitful. Show the world what I'm like. Man was made for the glory of God. Isaiah 43, again, the Lord speaking, he says, I will say to the north, give up and to the south. Do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Listen to this phrase. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created, what's it say? For my glory, whom I formed and made. God created us for his glory. God created us. Now here we get nitty gritty. Male and female. It's right there in the book, right? Think about the amount of detail that's left out of the creation story. The amount of detail we don't know as we read through the book of Genesis. We don't know exactly how all these things played out. Maybe you have questions or things you wonder about, like dinosaurs. Like, where did that happen? How much time really passed on the days of creation? Like, was it a 24-hour day or longer period of time? How did that work out? Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? It's a really important question. <laughs> did they have belly buttons? What really came first? Was it, was it the chicken or the The egg. So maybe as you read the the creation account, maybe you have really important questions, unlike the ones I just mentioned. Here's what we do know. God didn't give us all the answers we want, but he gave us everything we need. And here's a detail he gave us. He made humans male and female. Those are the two kinds of humans from the designer who creates everything with his power that is good and he's the owner and authority over it. He has made us male and female. There are no other options. His design plan was not incomplete. It was not lacking. Sin had not entered the picture so nothing is tainted. Everything is perfect and the perfection of God's creation made man, humans, male and female. Female, Right? I don't want to be insensitive. I know people in our culture today struggle with gender identity issues. And all I would tell you is this. They've lost sight of the bedrock of their worth, which is we are made in God's image. Every one of us. Here's the truth. If God made you male, he designed you intentionally and purposefully for manhood to be masculine and manly. If God made you female, he intended and designed purposefully to make you a woman for womanhood, femininity in all of its beauty and splendor. This is God's design. It was not an accident and he didn't make a mistake. Notice. Notice. We're given the summary of the creation account of man and woman in Genesis 1. Like, it's just a summary. God created us in His image. He made a male and female. That's the summary. In chapter 2, we're given a little more detail of how that actually played out, right? When you look at chapter 2, we see that man was actually alone for a little while. That must have been a terrible little while. Man, that was a great spot for an amen. Uh, if your wife is beside you and you didn't say amen, like, you missed it. Like, that was... I'm just trying to help you out, brother. So Adam is alone for a little bit. I mean, he's like naming stuff. He's working in the field. He's tilling the garden. He's doing, he's like doing manly things, right? He's just hanging out with God They have this thing going. Now, we we, we talked about this refrain a moment ago, but after God made everything, everything he made, he kind of stepped back and he he saw it. The Bible says, and God saw that it was what? Good. Now, in chapter 2, God intentionally made only the male version of humans for a little while. And he points out to us that man's being alone is, what did he say about it? Not good, not good men. I'm telling you, you this is where you, you need to chime in here. Like I'm trying to help you out. Valentine's is Tuesday. So man being alone is what? Not good. I needed some like manly voice. Not good. I needed that right there. Not good. Man being alone is not good. Chapter two, verse 18. Now keep in mind, the God who spoke light, let's just hold on to that idea, the God who said, it's kind of dark, let there be light, light, that God did not make a mistake when he made man alone. He's teaching you something. This is the same God who gave you that really important flap of skin, right? And he's doing details. He knows how to keep you from choking to death, right? So the same God did not make a mistake. He had already made every animal male and female. He knew Adam was naming them. Okay, male rhino, female rhino, right? He was naming them and they were complementary for one another. They had animals to be fitting for each other. And then Adam looks and he's like, there's not one fit for me. God wanted to show Adam something and in writing the story the way he did in the book of Genesis, he's teaching us something. It's not that he made a mistake. So why the delay here with woman? Well, if you've never waited on a woman, just wait. <laughs> Your times are coming. Uh, yeah, sorry about that, babe. Um, no, it's more than that. God is revealing something about his creation to us. So here, here we go. Ready? Man was created with need. Man was created with need. And think about it. That doesn't make his creation incomplete. Man had a need for air, right? A need for air. He's breathing. Man, I needed that breath. Man had a need for food. God had actually said, you can eat anything you want except for that one over there. But you can eat anything. He had a need for food. It's not that need wasn't sinful, but man needed to realize a deep need. And we needed it recorded in the story for us to see it also. Here we see that man needed woman. God wanted Adam to know his need. He wrote this detail for us to know the need and the solution. Now listen, when God sees a need and he meets a need, he doesn't meet it with the wrong solution. This... Don't skip over the fact that God met this need from Adam intentionally with woman. It was so intentional. It was like the first surgery. He puts Adam to sleep, pulls out a bone, right? Pulls his rib out and makes woman. When Adam wakes up, he's like, wow, oh, that's my bone right there. This bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is woman. God met this need with woman. God, listen, did not create another Man. Adam didn't just need companionship. He needed a mate. He needed a partner in life. He needed woman. So he created Adam and he created a perfectly designed partner for Adam, woman, Eve. Number two, man and woman, we must acknowledge, we must see it in the text, are distinctly different. Different. It's repeated twice in our text that there wasn't a helper complementary or fit for Adam twice. That's written in the scriptures. There's not one that fits me. Well, then God makes Eve and they fit like a puzzle piece. If God had made another Adam, it would not have resolved the problem. Man does not complement man. Not in God's design. And God is showing us that man and woman are uniquely suited for one another. This is good. And it is God's perfect design. I remind you again, there's still no sin in this picture. So when God creates, He creates it perfectly as He wants it to be. Number three, we see. One man and one woman is the pattern for marriage. Genesis 2:23 and 24 in particular there's this parenthetical statement it's not in the storyline it's like Moses the writer of the story actually says hey look all this story is meant to teach us something about life and here's what it should tell you therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife they shall become one flesh. That's Moses writing, the Holy Spirit inspired, teaching for us. It wasn't teaching for Adam and Eve, was it? They didn't have a father and a mother to leave. What we see in this text is a pattern for God honoring marriage. One woman with one man for life. This is the pattern that God has given us for marriage. This created marriage pattern given to us by Adam and Eve. A man shall leave his parents, hold fast to his wife. A man hold fast to his one wife. This is the design of the Creator. Listen, the Creator who has all power, all authority, and does all things good and perfect. This text ends, right? Chapter 2 ends with the, these two lovebirds being naked and unashamed. And we'll talk more about that next week. It ends with them being naked and unashamed. What God had done was beautiful and right and perfectly fitting. This is beautiful in a way that we, married people in the room, only kind of know, right? Even in a wonderful and loving marriage, sin has tampered with our sense of trust and security in your most vulnerable moments. Am I right? Even in a great, healthy marriage, things are still not quite unashamed. But not so with Adam and Eve. At least at this point, they were living God's good and perfect design. God is a good Designer. You agree? Well, this was absolutely wonderful. So let me just make a few statements here and we'll finish. I know probably the breakfast is settling. (laughs) It's warm in here. So hang with me for a few more moments. Christian brother and sister, listen, you know this. 20 years ago, the statements I've made today from the Bible were not controversial. They were widely accepted as true. It was assumed realities. But today, biblical convictions, especially on these issues, is very unpopular. Would you agree? In fact, in the years to come, this very sermon might possibly be labeled hate speech. Just because I've said a few things specific from God's word about how he ordained for our sexes to work and how he created us intentionally. But I want, you, I want to assure you, it is not hate speech. I do not hate anyone who rejects what I've taught today. I feel very sorry for them. The enemy in the garden successfully deceived Adam and Eve, and it cost them everything. And he is still lying effectively to anyone who will listen. Like its author, God's word is unchanging. It is unchanging. If you bend on your convictions today, you won't have bent far enough tomorrow. Don't bend cling to God's word as the ultimate authority on truth. Hold firmly to truth and love people who have lost sight of the goodness of the God who created them. Love people, all people, no matter their struggle. Love them because they're image bearers of a creator that they are rejecting so we love people, but we do not lie to them. Is this hard to do, church? It's hard. When you're pressed to answer really difficult questions, it's easy just to either stay silent or to divert or even to nod your head in agreement with a lie. I beckon you, don't do that. Find the road Of loving people with truth. The Bible says that we speak. We are to speak truth in love. Every one of us is a sinner. Amen. Every one of us. If you've been saved by the blood of Jesus. You did not deserve it. Right. It's by his mercy and his grace. That sinners come to be born again. And there is no sin. Too big a barrier for the mercy of God. So none of us is better. We all stand in need of Jesus. We have no high horse in this world. But we do have a high and holy king. And we must trust and obey him no matter what. If you're listening and you think you'll find yourself or your true identity or your self-worth by changing who God made you to be or who he made you to be with. You won't find your worth there. You will get to the other side of that journey and still feel the emptiness you feel today. Because you are fearfully and wonderfully made by a good God who designed you with great intentionality. Your worth and identity is in God. He loves you so very much. In fact, he loves you so much that even while we were still sinning, Christ died for us, right? God's love is displayed in that he didn't expect you to clean up your act before he came to you. He has already come and given his perfect life so that sinners like us can be saved and set free from the deceptions of the enemy. God is good. His design is good. His plan for you is good. Amen, church? So turn to Jesus. Reject the lies of the evil one and trust a good God who gave his only son for you.